Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day, this Easter season that we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we gather here to worship you, speak into our hearts and minds and lives that which we exactly need to hear, know, and understand this day. And Lord, that, may that be our prayer each and every day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm starting kind of a new six-week focus for us here in church, and it's on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, it doesn't cover them all. We're going to look at six different spiritual disciplines. I'll explain what those are in, the moment, in a moment, but between now and June 1st, we're going to do that. These are basically tools for our faith. They are, they are tools that are from Scripture, and like tools, they help us in some way or another, but they alone cannot do something for us. We keep in mind it's only by the grace of God that anything really happens. And one of the challenges is I've found in our Lutheran tradition is we don't have a lot of experience or understanding or practice of the disciplines. Sometimes it's because we you know, we just don't hear about them, talk about them. It's not a focus for us. Sometimes what happens is we kind of think of these things because they are practices, because they are things we do. We sometimes see these things kind of, a, we excuse them as a works theology, which is a mistake because they are scriptural things that, that God has given us, things that in many cases Jesus did himself. They are practices and tools that we also should replicate, that we should participate in. In fact, I remember a time when I was serving on a curriculum committee for a new seminary that was forming, a new Lutheran seminary. And we started talking about what classes should be required in seminary. Anyone who's been to seminary, whether five years ago or 50 years ago, will tell you seminaries have struggled to offer all of the things that really are needed for pastoral ministry, have struggled to have the right focus. And so our task was to really think about that, to think carefully about that, about the theological and biblical and practical things. And I remember bringing this issue up, you know, we need to teach our future pastors, they need to understand the disciplines, they need to engage with them in their own life as they seek to be spiritual leaders to the people they lead in, and they, they need to help their congregation understand that, that certainly this following Jesus is more than showing up to church and just saying our prayers in that moment. And I was met with such strong resistance it was uh, intense, to say the least, because we have this misunderstanding, and it was really unfortunate because we have this misunderstanding that somehow we think that if it's something that we do to build our relationship with God, that that's a work. But that is really a, a flawed understanding, and certainly not one that Luther would have, because Luther himself was almost too ferocious at practicing some of these disciplines. The purpose of these disciplines is really to engage and train our flesh, engage and train our heart and our mind to focus on God. Though we are created in God's image, we are created to be in relationship with God. So often because of life, because of our sinful nature, our natural tendency is not 
necessarily to think about and focus on God in every moment of our life. In fact, I think for many of us that is a very difficult task, that is a very difficult call, a difficult thing to do. These things are scriptural. It is a long list. There are many of them. They are simply habits. Habits to grow our faith. Tools, practices that hopefully become habits that help our focus on God, that help our faith grow. Now, I am somebody who loves to-do lists. I don't know if any of you are like that, but I love to-do lists so much so that when I think of something on my to-do list and do it before I can put it on my to-do list, sometimes I go back and put it on my to-do list and cross it off, right? Some people call that OCD. They just misunderstand. Amen, right? Amen. I know some of you are jiving with me. Okay, good. Now, there are certain things, though, that I don't put on my to-do list. I do not put on my to-do list anymore, brush my teeth. I don't put on my to-do list, take my medicine. I don't put on my to-do list, take a shower. Because the truth is, these have become habits. The truth is, if I don't brush my teeth, if I don't take a shower, I know it. And chances are, other people know it too. <laughs> and this is how it is with the disciplines. These things that we do that get us to focus on Jesus Christ to focus on God. We do these things so that they become habits, so that to pray is not something we have to put in our to-do list, to put into our schedule. It's something that we naturally do that we, when we don't do it, we notice. I'll talk about that with me in one of the other disciplines later on. But you see, our, our purpose, our focus is to be in relationship with God, with one another, and with God's world. And we all know how difficult relationships are, right? They're our greatest gift, and in many times they're our greatest challenge. But relationships don't just happen. Relationships are something that we have to build. They take time. They take communication. The truth is, it's hard to have a good marriage if you never talk to each other. As good as an idea that might sound, as attractive as that might sound, you cannot build a good relationship, a good friendship, without ever talking, without ever being together, without ever spending time together, sharing experiences. And so these spiritual disciplines, these tools that should become habits, are those things that help build our relationship with this risen Jesus Christ that we celebrate. They're important to us. I want to start today with prayer. It seems like the right place to start. We know what prayer is intuitively. We do it in church frequently. We've just been through this Lenten journey where we've looked through and examined the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that we pray every time we gather for communion in church. And so we have an idea with prayer. But I, I start with prayer because of all the disciplines, of all the disciplines, it is the most central. It is through prayer that we have perpetual communion, conversation, and connection with the God of the universe. And we're all capable of prayer. I know. I've all heard you talk. I know that we're all capable of prayer. It is the most central. But you see, the best thing about prayer is that prayer changes us. That's what the gift of prayer does. 
Prayer changes us. To pray is to change. So oftentimes we pray for things to change, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But almost always when we pray, especially when we're earnest and diligent about it, it is us who changes. It's not always the circumstance that changes. You see, the thing about prayer is God knows we're not going to surprise God. I can't believe Marcus was thinking that. This is not what God says when we talk to God, when we pray. There are no surprises. In that way, prayer is so much more about us than it is about God. Prayer changes us. You see, the truth is, the things that we struggle the most to pray about, the things that we want to pray about the least, those are usually the things that we don't want to hear from God on. Those are the things that we're afraid, most afraid, afraid is, that's not a word, most afraid to have change. Those are the areas where we're most afraid to experience change. Those things that we struggle to pray about. Those relationships, those situations, those characteristics of ourselves, those people in our lives that we struggle with. Those areas where we struggle to pray, those are the ones where we fear this change. And that's hard, but it's the truth. We can all talk to God. We all are capable of talking, some of us better than others, more than others. We're called to be a people of prayer. Not just the Lord's Prayer, not just in church, not just in crisis, but in all things. In fact, this scripture reading in James is really fascinating because it's a list of times we should pray. And it actually covers really all circumstances that James here and the Apostle Paul and Jesus have all said the same thing. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. Pray in all circumstances. And so often prayer is our last resort rather than our first. And this is where we make our mistake. Whether it's because we don't want to go to God or we don't think about it or we don't want to bother God. Again, we're not surprising God. Just so you know. But I think of this childlike faith. I think of my own kids when they were infants, before they had words. You know, you wait for them so long to talk, and then you realize maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> that there's this dependence. That their first reaction is to cry out, literally and figuratively, to cry out. That is their first response, not their second response or their last response. Now it's a little different. When they fight with each other, they sometimes try and figure it out whether effectively or not. And then this happens. You see, this, this thing about talking to God should be our first resort. You know, the, the worst thing that could happen in praying is that we are talking and listening to God. That's a great worst-case scenario. I look for situations in life that have really wonderful worst-case scenarios. I yearn for those things that, that truly have worst-case scenarios. That's why I love this reading in James. We have a need for communication. And prayer is not just a set-aside time. Certainly that is good, that is important, that is effective. There is, you've heard me say, a dramatic difference between when I start my day with prayer and when I don't. And it's not usually the circumstances. It usually has to do with my attitude and perception of those circumstances. 
To pray is to change. It should be a habit. But more importantly, it should be our posture. It should be our lives. Our lives should be prayer. To pray without ceasing in all things. If we wait till we feel like it to pray, we're in trouble. If I waited until I felt like it to brush my teeth, I probably would have lost them by college. It's not about waiting until we're in the mood or till we're desperate. It's to be our posture. Prayer is personal and congregational. We can't just do it alone, but we can also do it alone. And that's why we need to pray for one another. It is not just talking to God, but it is listening to God. Now, very rarely do we hear that audible voice of God, but God speaks to us through our thoughts, through our circumstances, through the scriptures, through others, through things that happen, through the advice of others as we pray for things. So oftentimes I will catch myself and pray about something before trying to do it myself. And it's amazing as I pray about, not only does my attitude and my perception change, but the situation takes care of itself. Now, I didn't know if you knew this, but I'm an extrovert. Okay? Surprise of the day. Glad you're all sitting down. And so, listening is not an extrovert's natural tendency. But the truth is, prayer is also about listening. In fact, it's more about listening than it is talking. That there might be a reason that proportionally we are given one mouth and two ears. That prayer is also about listening. Prayer changes, not always circumstances, because sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. But it always changes our attitude. It always changes our perception. It changes our perspective. You know what's hard? It's really hard to be angry, to judge, to criticize, to even have hatred if you're praying about something or for someone. Do you know how hard it is? You know, when you really pray for someone to actually judge and criticize and be angry at them? I've noticed that because sometimes I have to catch myself and say, I wonder why I don't want to pray about this person or situation. Hmm. Because sometimes we become comfortable in our judgment and our criticism. And that's the gift of prayer. But it's also the challenge. Because a lot of times we don't start prayer hoping that we're going to change. Quite the opposite. We're hoping that someone else or something else is going to change. I'm going to pray for them. And then God surprises us. Prayer changes everything. There's no limit to the power of prayer. To have true and deep joy, to experience joy in all circumstances, comes through prayer. That nothing changes us and nothing changes a relationship, including our relationship with God, like prayer. In this way, prayer is such a gift to us. In prayer, we must remember and must know and oftentimes say aloud that God is good, God is sovereign, God is the ruler. In the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Thy will be done. Our prayers shouldn't be about God fixing someone else or setting them straight, but that God's will would be done. Not just in a situation, not just in someone else, but in our own hearts and in our own lives. 
And to be honest, that's hard. That makes it hard to want to pray in some difficult situations because we want justice and we want fairness and we want to sit in our angst or we want to correct or fix it ourselves. That's the one I struggle with. It's a man thing, I think, a little bit. Rather than give it over to God, rather than to let go, rather than to trust the will of God over our own will. And we don't realize how silly, how arrogant it is to trust our will over God's will. But this is what we do when we fail to give these things to God in prayer. To pray without ceasing. To see someone, to think of something, to remember something is to pray. Richard Foster called these flash prayers. His book on the spiritual disciplines is really the best out there. And Frank Laubach, who wrote a great little book that we have in our library that, that letters by a modern mystic, he tried to spend every day thinking about God in every moment. He talked about these flash prayers. And so for me now, this has become a habit over time. So I think of someone when you're walking in from place A to place B, or you think about a situation, or you bump into somebody in the grocery store, or you pass somebody driving, or you get grumpy about something that's unresolved. To think about those things is to pray, to stop and to pray. These flash prayers really change us. They change our attitude. They change our perspective. That God brings people and situations to our mind, I believe, for a reason. That there aren't accidents, there aren't really coincidences. Life does happen, but God wants to do something in the midst of life. As an associate pastor I used to work with say, let's look for the Godcidence in this. No coincidence, but the Godcidence. Where is the God moment in each and every situation, in each and every experience? And so when we see or think of something, when we experience something, to stop and to pray. It's not a substitute for our prayer practices and our set-aside time and prayer and rituals. It's something to add to that. And the more we do that, the more our life, walking around our everyday eating and doing things, becomes a life of prayer. And slowly but surely, more and more, our heart and mind is more fixed on the God of the universe instead of ourselves. Because the natural tendency is us. And so the discipline of prayer, the practice of prayer, helps to change that tendency as this habit is formed. Recently, it was the Saturday night before Palm Sunday. And I was sitting up in the bedroom and I was doing a job for Jessica. I was printing off labels for the graduation things she was sending out. And as I was stacking them, I saw a name of friends of ours from Colorado, Sal and Quimby. Sal and Quimby are in their late, uh, early eight, in late 80s, I believe. Sal and Quimby are dear uh, friends of, of mine, of ours. Uh, they're folks that our kids love deeply and, you know, folks that have always kind of been fun. She was a surrogate grandmother for me and, and just, just great folks. And I saw their name and I thought, oh, I haven't talked to them in forever. I miss them. I hope they come. And I'm like, oh, I should pray for them. And so I did, just a second. Just in my mind, not even aloud, I prayed for Sal and Quimby. And then that night I was sleeping and I was tossing and turning. It must have been that Holy Week thing, I don't know. And, uh, and so I woke up in the middle of the night, and I don't know if you've ever had the habit, you just sit right up, 
and your mind starts racing. See, my problem, my body wants to shut off, but my mind doesn't. I don't know if you have that problem. It has something to do with that to-do list thing, too, I think. And so I thought of Salem Quimby again, and I said, well, that's strange. I'm really going to pray. And so I prayed. What, you know, God, I pray for my dear friends I love. What, if something's going on, I, I pray for them. And then I got up. This was the Palm Sunday evening. Actually, not the Saturday night before Palm Sunday evening. I got up that Monday morning and I got ready. And as I was getting ready, there, there was just something in my heart, right? I don't know if you've ever had that. And I'm thinking of them and I'm like, why did I think of them twice? I must really miss them. And, and my heart was just heavy. I'm like, I got to pray. And I, I, gotta, I can't wait till after Easter to call them. I got to find time this Holy Week to call them. And so I prayed for Sal and Quimby. And then I didn't think about it, and I headed into the office here, and I got and sat down, as my habit is, and sat and turned my computer on and opened the email, and there was the email for Quimby. That night, in the middle of the night, Sal was in extreme pain, and they rushed him to the hospital. And he had gangrene in his intestines. And so they rushed him into surgery, and the doctor said, you know, at his age, at his heart condition, he's probably not going to survive this, but this is the only thing that we can do. And they did the surgery, and he survived. And, you know, of course, there's a part of me that just can't but help but stop to think for a moment, right? It struck me. That's, that's not about me. That's not a coincidence. And so, you know, the first thing I do, of course, is I pick up the phone and I call Quimby and, and she's a mess and, and we talk and, and we pray and, and, and I tell her what had happened and told them how much I love them and, you know, it's, it's a long journey still going forward. And, and, you know, she went back to the hospital, she'd gone home and the, the senior pastor of that church I served was there and she told him the story, and, and he couldn't help but to think about how God stirs in our hearts and stirs in our relationships as well. And then I talked to her again the next day, and we just had to recognize and talk about what prayer really means. To think of someone, to think of something, to see something is to pray. We never know how the Spirit is going to work. Sometimes we don't know if it's the Spirit or the pizza that we ate last night. But we have to trust God. And prayer is about trusting God. It's about letting go. That there really isn't much greater that we can do than to pray, to be a people of prayer. Prayer matters more than any of the other disciplines that we'll talk about and the ones that we won't talk about. Prayer matters. It's not just a little thing. It changes us. It's essential to life. It's essential to our relationship with Jesus. We can't have a living, thriving relationship with Jesus if we never talk to Jesus, if we never listen to Jesus. That's not possible. It's not what our heart wants. It's not what Jesus wants. And every once in a while, we catch the miraculous. Every once in a while, we're changed. Something happens. My whole attitude for the rest of that Holy Week changed in that moment. Which means it changed how I talked to my kids, how I interacted with you, how we did the services, how I shared the messages. That has nothing to do with me or with Sal or Quimby. That's what happens when we pray. 
See, prayer is not about eloquence. It's not about crisis. It's not about church or the right words. It's about three things. Openness. You've got to be open to God. You're not going to surprise God. God has broad shoulders. Honesty. If we're not going to come in an honest way, we're only going to get part of the puzzle. But finally, trust. Trusting God's will. Trusting the movement of the Spirit. Trusting that whatever God has in this prayer is going to be something great. You see, prayer is a gift. It's a gift from God. We get to communicate with the God of the universe. We get to be in relationship with the God of the universe. This is a corner on the religious market for Christianity. It is truly a great gift, this relationship we can have with Jesus and prayer is one of our greatest tools, one of our greatest disciplines, and should become a habit so much so that it is our life. And as it becomes so, circumstances don't always change, but we do. Our hearts, our attitudes, our perceptions, they begin to change. And we're better for it. We know God more fully. We see others more as God sees them. We see situations more as God sees them. And we become more like Christ. We become more like the person that we yearn to be. And the good news is prayer isn't hard. We've just got to do it. So let's do that. Let's become a people of prayer. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these words, for the scripture, for this call to prayer for this practice, this discipline that is more than just something we do, more than a tool, but should be our habit, should be our life. God, above all things, help us to communicate with you, speaking openly and honestly, trusting and listening. And God, even when we don't want change, change us in the way that we need to be changed. And may our greatest change, Lord, this day and each day going forward become more be becoming more of a people of prayer. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.